Hey, welcome to Equippers Church Sermon of the Week. My name is John Sparrow. I'm the lead pastor here at Equippers Church, and I'm thrilled you're tuning in. I believe the message you're about to hear is going to encourage you, inspire you, and equip you for life. If you'd like to know more about Equippers Church and ways to partner with us, please visit equipperscc.com. God bless. But our topic is building bold. And so we're going to continue. I think this is our last Sunday on Nehemiah. Okay. It's been a good series. It's always good to talk about building. And what an incredible story God left us in the scripture about a man who got convicted to do something for the kingdom. So Lord, we just thank you for this concept of building and building boldly. Thank you for, let's just say, the spirit of Nehemiah being released in your people, that we We want to open our door and do what's in front of us. We want to help see walls go up of protection, uh, walls go up for the sake of your gospel, for the sake of your kingdom, but I also thank you that bridges are being built into community, and Nehemiahs are being raised up to build bridges and to bring people groups into the kingdom of heaven and to, to touch lives for the sake of what you're doing. So we thank you for letting us be part of that Holy Spirit. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, be released in this room. And Lord, we're mindful that we're in the presence of heaven, we're in the presence of angels, and we pray that your angels would minister to the heirs of salvation that we release right now. People wonder, how come you say we release when it's actually God? Well, it's just, it's a connection. We're, when we say we release, we're saying we're in agreement for the release of angels, that Jesus is the captain of the hosts of heaven. So, Lord, we thank you as captain of the host. You'd release ministering angels into this room, and stuff would happen. Amen? How many know when heaven is here, stuff happens? How many know when Jesus and the Holy Spirit are moving in their people, stuff happens? Well, we look, we, I put more weight on that than myself. Amen? Way more weight on that. That what he does through the word, what he does in atmosphere is way more than we can do. So, Lord, we just say yes and amen. Right? Amen. High five somebody real quick. <laughs> Keep the connection. That's way different than the Bible says a holy kiss. We realize that, but, you know, it's, it's a lot safer. <laughs> hey, amen. Yikes, I know. Yikes. <laughs> What's going on in this? What, yeah, first time here. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Amen. All right. Okay. My real glasses are missing, so here we are with readers. Uh, So I want to look at point number one, uh, slide one. Where are we? How's this working today? Good. Look at that. With a clicker now. We've upgraded to a clicker. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So what is it that we are building that requires us to be be bold? I mean, no, that's a good question. What are we building? We're not actually in the story of Nehemiah. There isn't actually a physical city that needs to be rebuilt, but we're called to build. And in his case, he built according to his convictions. He, he had this visitation, if you would, and, and this came into his heart deeply. Something that he carried, he said, this is on God's heart. I'm going to allow it to become on my heart. Yeah. And that grew to a strength to where he caused him to do action. So it's like, what is it that you and I are building? And we can say multiple things, but we're building your life, right? Building your story in his story. I know this is lower than normal. There was a little technical thing happened during the week, but we've had lots of technical challenges in the last awesome. few weeks. So we're building, we're building our life. We're building your story and his story. We're building family. We're building community. 
And your legacy is important. How many know that? You have to be intentional about your legacy. But God is building legacy. And, and he's building his church. And the scripture that we uh, use. What's going on here? <laughs> there it is. Ephesians 2.21. And whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So when we say we're building, we're actually cooperating with him. Jesus said, I would build my church. And so when he says he's building and we say, well, Lord, we're co-laborers with you. We want to build with you. We understand that God is doing something in his church, in his people in churches that are subgroups of the, the, the one church, that he's causing us to be fit together. Amen? Yeah. Fit together because in his design, in his gifting, Jesus ascended on high. He gave gifts to men. He literally ascended, and he distributed himself in his body. And now we're the corporate body, measure, members individual, Paul said. But then he goes on to say, but each one has. So in that each one has, what, a portion of the grace of Christ, a portion of the gifting of Christ. And he said, if I'm paraphrasing, but this is Paul's writings, his revelation of Jesus in the church and Jesus as the church. He said he sets the members in the body as it pleases him. So if you're yielded, not only does he re reveal the measure of himself in you, but he causes you to begin to be fitly joined. So you're in complementary relationships in grace and giftedness. That's his plan. And, and as we flow with that, and he's, he, he's able to do that, the glory of God is intended to be on the church in a crazy way. Yeah. Signs, wonders, demonstration, wisdom, understanding, influence. That, that's all what he has intended for the glorious body of Christ. So when we say, like, we're building boldly, that we're boldly confessing the fact that we're presenting ourselves and God's going to do something in our midst that's bigger than what we currently have. Amen? Currently than what we know. Because he promised, he said, the church will be filled with his glory. Amen. So, so we're saying, yes, do it, Lord. Matthew 7, 24 and 25, when he talked about building a house, he said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man, Luke added, who dug deep. How many know you have to dig deep when you're putting in foundation? That, and he goes on and says, he built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fail because it had been founded on the rock. Foundation that goes down to the rock. When I was... Uh, graduated from, well, we, the long story short, we were divinely told that we had to stay in San Luis Obispo and be faithful to Agape, that we had just were part of a church plant. And so our intention was to move south because my, my college degree was in building. And so myself and a friend just, by faith, started a company called Vision Homes. And that's all we had was a vision. <clears throat> but... It, <laughs> Seriously, we didn't have contracts. We were, it, was, it was crazy, stupid faith. But it worked, amen, because God was in it, and he directed us. And at one point in our five years together, and then John went up and got promoted and became vice president of the company, and I stayed and went uh, on staff at the church. But at one of the parts of that five years, 
<laughs> we, we got connected in this little community in Summerland, California, one community south of Santa Barbara. And they had been under a, a water moratorium, and there had been no building. And so we started marketing, knowing that they were going to fix that problem. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a bunch of people wanting to build. But the problem there wasn't just water. It had that really shifty, weird sand that was like 20 feet deep. And doing foundations was extremely expensive. Well, we met this crazy engineer from, he was a retiring engineer from Cal Poly, who developed a system for us of taking uh, oil well casings, six-inch oil well casings, and we would ram those through that soft dirt down to bedrock. And so we, we got this machine out of Oxnard and got set up on the hill. We started ramming these oil well casings until they could actually touch the rock. And so the houses were then, it was tied together with these called grade beams, this configuration of concrete grade beams, and then the houses would be built on the top. Well, the engineer had never seen anything like that, the, the lead engineer from the county of Santa Barbara. It, and he, he said, it's brilliant, it's super strong, but the problem was we stirred up sand ballot in Tobiah, <laughs> is that our construction costs were 50% less than the prevailing contractors in the area. And so they started stirring up. We, got, we had got five contracts. We got three built before they said, we're not going to allow you to build any in the future. And he couldn't deny the engineering, but he could deny the fact of the political pressure was the number one thing. The second thing they used is it's really noisy when you're pounding oil well you know, casing and you're bouncing off the rock. It was loud. There's no doubt about it. But that wasn't the issue. We were building in places where there was very few houses around us. But we encountered sand ballot and Tobiah. Now I would fight back. Back then it was like no money and just stupid. I mean, so we, we left the project. But I understand foundation. I understand going down until you're actually sitting on the rock. It's way different than having to, to just dig big holes and pour all kinds of concrete so that you can figure out the weight and the tension to hold a house up. We're actually going down, setting the house on the rock. Amen? And so, yeah, it was a good, but it was also a great illustration of Tobiah and Sand Ballot that can come up and get your life and mess you up. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> next one. But everyone who hears these words, and it's interesting that Jesus said, it's that you can, this is really how you build. You hear his words and you do them. I mean, you think, think about coming into a culture and understanding how everybody believes and sees things and perceives things, and, and you understand the politics, you understand the, the lasciviousness of the cult, you understand the whole deal that's going on. Because he, he actually not only understood those facts, but he said that he knew the heart of man. And he didn't fully give himself to man, because he knew the heart of man, and he knew the whole social and the whole culture. But he, he said that if you take my words and you do them, you actually create a foundation in your life that goes down to the rock. That if, if you follow my patterns, you follow the words that I'm sharing, that it actually creates something that's so substantial. It's like actually building on a rock, that the waves and the winds and the, the storms will come against, and you won't fail if you take my words and you actually do them. You implement them, not just listen. And then he even countered that to make a stronger point. He said, but everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
He realized that like, he, was, he was the dividing line. He was the line in the sand. He came into the earth, and he began to share the kingdom of heaven. And he said, if you can hear the words of mine, and you can receive them, and if you begin to do them, it'll lay a foundation that will not fail. Windstorm, hail, earthquakes, it won't fail. That's how it'll be. But if you don't, you hear the words and you don't apply them, then this is going to be, and that's an illustration, that was actually an earthquake house, but anyway, it's a good picture of what happens when there isn't the proper foundation and the house isn't tied together right. But when, now shifting back to the Nehemiah story, it said, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashad heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead, and the gaps were being closed, that they were very angry, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. We've, we've heard that from the, the first session that we talked about is there's the opposition came because something good was happening. We realize, we cover through Scripture, we understand it's the same today. Opposition follows progress in the kingdom. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Now, notice in the next couple verses that these things are in quotation. It's not just a retelling of the story. It's a quoting of the quotes. It's a quoting of the threats. It's a quoting of the accusations that were actually spoken and released against the people. And 12, and then when the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, here it is again, quote, wherever you turn, they will attack us. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So they were threats, and they were actually spoken as threats. There's the quotation. That's the challenge that comes. That's the accusation that comes. It comes as a quote. I'm going to do this to you if you do that to me. Or it doesn't even have to be some. If you just do that, I'm going to release hell against you. I'm going to intimidate you. I'm going to make you, uh, magnify your shame. I'm going to increase your unworthiness. But the, the solution is simplified. Like it's, there's just a summary statement. But we prayed, which is what we're supposed to do. And we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat, and, and it was successful. But as they got work past that, so the, the external threat, the accusations that came from outside, they were successful against. They posted a guard, people able to work again. But then it says, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. There's, there's two things that go on there. It's like, once the exterior threat is dealt with, and, and that is at bay, then internal things started developing, the internal attitudes, the internal critique. And it's like, well, our strength is wearing out. They got halfway up. And they, got, they saw it was all connecting, that it was, the plan was working. But then they began to internalize. The outside threat's gone, but now I'm starting to feel different about this project. <laughs> right? uh, yeah, I'm getting worn out. I'm starting to feel feeble. And besides that, there's rubble everywhere. How many know that the dialogue changed, that the focus changed? But yet it's still the attack of the enemy. In, the, in just the classic example of life, if we're, if we're saying, what are we building today? And, and how do these stories and the principles of these stories apply? Like Jesus laid it out pretty clear. He said, the thief doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. Boom. I've come that you might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So if he says, here's the kingdom of heaven, 
Here's my words, and if you do my words, then you'll build this kind of a life. And my desire is in you finding that, discovering that, and applying that, that you're going to find life and life abundantly. But he said, but there is, in the same passage, John 10, 10, but there is a thief, and he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so just like in Deuteronomy where Moses called them out and set them against that hill and began to proclaim to them, I set before you today life and blessing, death and a curse, and he said, choose life. It's the updated modern version of the new covenant based on better promises, but Jesus is declaring the same thing. I set before you life and blessing or death and a curse, choose life, amen? And this is how you choose life. This is my words You hear them and you do them, and and this is what's going to manifest, the blessing, the more abundant life. But we're in the middle, Joel 3, 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. It's like not, not just people who never heard, but really what happens moment by moment, day to day, hour to hour in our own being. Like we're in the, we get stuck in that valley, don't we? And so when we're, when we're stuck in the valley, and the challenge is, what do we do to build? What do we do to keep advancing? How do we keep moving forward in life with the right decisions, aimed at eternal life, aimed at abundant life, and, and we're stuck? Well, there's, so, there's insight in that scripture. It says, the strength of the labor is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. That, that thought process started. It's like, okay, we're wrapping up Nehemiah. I read the whole book, and some of it twice, some of it three times or more. And I'm thinking, what were some of the things that just jumped out at me? That was one of the passages that jumped out. The strength of the labors is giving out, and there is so much rubble. It's kind of, to me, one and the same thought. I get worn out when there's so much rubble. Amen. It's probably the rubble that wears you out the most. It's like, it's just the, uh, if you've ever worked on a job site, and somebody isn't cleaning up on the job, so like there's broken pieces of wood, and there's trash and sawdust piled up and nails. And, and the job site, the tools are all scattered. The cords are tangled. It's like when, you, when you're in a job site like that, there's something that it doesn't, it doesn't create momentum. <laughs> it, it's just like this sense of confusion, and you don't know whether to look up or look down because you don't want to trip, but you know you have to focus up there because you have to make a connection. And, and it's that thing that goes on, but you're mindful of the rubble. Well, the walls were broken down, and there was plenty of rubble, but they didn't mention it till the wall was half built, and everybody's moving together and motivated. Like, all of a sudden, the focus changed. It's like the focus went from the progress to, oh, we're getting tired, and it's all the rubble, Right? That's what, you, that's what you see, the progression in the story. Well, you think about different kinds of rubble. Think about, the really, in this case, like the context. It's the rubble of words. It's all the stuff that's going on. Well, he said, they said they're going to attack us. And when, then we heard from inside, 10 times they said they're going to attack us. And so it's, it's the, the rubble of words that are going on. But then this picture, you know, praying through this stuff. And then this picture came and this reminder of this... Uh, this example of a bridge in Tacoma. And when you, in, in engineering, like in bridge design or building design, they, they build with different forces in mind. It's not just the static load of just the building, like just the weight of the concrete and the steel and the glass, this building upwards. Like 
We have to have a foundation and we have to size the members of the building to support just this weight that they also calculate for wind shear. It blows the building this way. In California and earthquake places, they calculate for back and forth motion of what will keep the building together. But there's one thing in, in bridge building, especially with sus- suspension bridges, there's this factor called oscillation that in just the static bridge, this, they size the members, you know, the big cable that holds it together, the towers that go down to support the weight of the road and the car, that that all can be calculated. And then they can double it, triple it, times 10 for extra safety factors, and, and the thing will hold together. But what's really difficult to calculate is when something starts blowing. And then when it's blowing and it starts oscillating, all the engineering changes. The calculations change. The, the, it just takes on a whole other phenomenon. And so we got a picture of this. Let's look at the Tacoma Bridge that's under a wind attack. Hopefully you can bring it up because it's a great visual. Here it is. Yeah. It looks like earthquake. That's just wind. But just, this guy walks from his car because he couldn't drive him. Just, just watch the effect of this. See how it gets higher, and then it gets higher, and it gets higher, and all of a sudden, stress points, everything. It just, the whole center part collapses. And when you, you think about the rubble of words, but you, th- you think about how true it is in relationships. You think about how true it is right now in our nation is that something that's designed as a bridge... But when it begins to oscillate, right? See, the wind's coming this way, so the bridge pitches this way. The wind lifts this up higher. The structure counteracts it and goes this way. The wind hits this, pushes it back further. Then the wind lifts this, and it gets higher and higher. And pretty soon, it just goes beyond its tolerances, beyond its strength, and it just blows apart. And words can do that, right? You can get into an argument with somebody and, and... you, we're not, we're designed for static loads. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're designed, when he put us in the garden, it, the enemy, the, the snake hadn't yet showed up. I mean, I'm sure God knew in his plan, but we're made for peace and love and joy. Carolyn Leaf, who studies the, the, the science of the brain, she said, we're wired for love. I mean, we're, we're wired for static, love, peace, joy, righteousness, and when you interject anger, when you interject accusation, when you interject things of violence into conversation, or into, you can create an oscillation. And it goes from, it starts like this, and then it goes attack, counterattack, counterattack. I'm more mad. I'm more angry. Now I'm pulling in the absolutes. You always do that. You've never. And the thing oscillates, and the whole bridge blows apart. And where connection was there, the connection's lost. It can, happen be, it can happen between people. It can happen in a corporation. It can happen in a church. It can happen over a nation. The oscillation right now in the news, they said, he said, she said, their witnesses, our witnesses. How do you stop that? The only way, once it starts oscillating, the wind has to die. The only fix is the wind has to stop because that, it, that wind, the wind wasn't increasing. The bridge was responding. The wind was constant. The only way once that oscillation starts, the wind 
has to stop. And we have a scripture for that. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench the fiery darts. It's how you stop the wind. It's how you stop the oscillation. Love is first. That's why love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love backs away from that and says, hey, you know what? We're going to change this. Somebody's going to interfere with the oscillation with an apology. Someone's going to drop their pride and take the low road and stop the wind. Right? Going to just, hey, let's be peaceable. Let's back up. Time out. Time out. We really have closer goals than are being manifested right now. Somebody's got to stop the oscillation. In a marriage, in a conversation at home, if you see that picture that you're just fueling the oscillation, someone's just got to stop. Just quench. Go to love. Cooler minds prevail. The conversation will change. Amen? People start seeing different. If you don't, you're going to lose the bridge. If you don't, it ultimately will break. Comes apart. And somehow that was important in my conversation with the Lord about today was the rubble of words. The second thing, one definition of rubble is just fragments. Think about what keeps you from progressing forward in something. It's fragmented mind processes. It's right? Like, I, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I grew up with ADD before it was diagnosable, but I had all the symptoms times a hundred. And we don't have time, but I can tell you, with my twin brother and I and a group of a few guys, well, I told you this once, that we retired four out of eight teachers in grammar school early. <laughs> There's nothing to applaud about, those poor people. <laughs> Sister, oh, two, two nuns and two lay leaders that we drove them crazy. And can you imagine, can you imagine just the, being in a classroom and kids sitting in the back and, and listening, because the classrooms were way overfilled, too. I had 55 kids in my third grade class with one nun. So the classrooms were huge. So always sitting in the back so that you could check out. But literally, we were so excited. It's a two-story school situation. And when you got to move upstairs, Mrs. so it was, it was fifth, sixth, and eighth grade, because the seventh grade teacher couldn't climb stairs. And so, <laughs> so... <laughs> But, but what was so exciting about being the, moved upstairs is that you could actually go, there was a curtain right here where you'd keep the coats behind, but you could go there, you could climb up into the cupboard, and you could actually walk across or crawl across the crawl space over the classroom and go into the sixth grade and go into the eighth grade class and open their cupboards while they're having class and wave at people <laughs> and, and close the cupboard and then crawl back and drop down behind the clothes and sneak back into your seat and challenge each other. Yeah. Or you could go, you could go behind the heater. You could stand behind the wall heater with nobody knowing and going ring, ring, ring up and down on the grades so everybody could hear while class was going on. So there was some attention deficit issues. And it was rubble. <laughs> it was fragments that would go on. You'd start and you couldn't, yeah, any of that. So... John tells you his story, then I tell you mine. I said, Dad, you guys are thinking, why do we follow these guys as pastors? Like, what is wrong with this picture? Well, the truth is Jesus got involved, amen? And he, cha- he changed everything. And, but I'm, I'm frag- fragmented mind. And Paul talks about it this way. Sorry, James does. He said, 
When you ask in faith, you have to ask without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord's, for he's double-minded, unstable in his ways. That one of the things that keeps us from building is not being able to focus, right? Not being able to follow through, not being able to just be single-minded about, hey, we believe this. And, and faith and the difference between believing and doubting, I, I know we've talked about this before, but it really is a decision, Faith is a decision. It's not having everything resolved. There will always be questions. There are always going to be somebody asking, yeah, what if, why, how? But there's nothing wrong in the universe <laughs> by saying, you know what? I'm going to pick this course, and that's what I'm going to believe. And that's what Jesus told his disciples. He said, do not be unbelieving, but be believing. There's enough evidence And the thing is, is when you begin to believe, and then the gospel begins to be confirmed in your life, and you begin to experience the words of Jesus where he said, you're going to be like a house built on a firm foundation, and eternal life is going to start manifesting, and the things of the kingdom, the things of the spirit are going to begin to manifest, and you begin to prove that testimony in your own life, then that's where it begins to start being easier to believe. It starts being easier. I'm just going to have faith. That works. This works. It doesn't work if you just hear it. It works if you work it. Amen? If you stay in the hearing category only and you're vulnerable to all of the sand ballot conversations and the Tobias, it doesn't work. You're just in the place of confusion. You, You have to work it. You have to hear the words and you have to do his words. But when you begin to experience eternal life, you become more and more fully persuaded. Amen? Nehemiah, so we built the wall, and the entire built wall was joined together up to half its size, for the people had a mind to work. That's the important thing. If you can keep in a company, on a project, you have to keep a mind to work. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So, yeah, soldier up, yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of the mysteries in, you know, the idea of the valley of dry bones. And, and we can relate to that. Like, we can say that over society. You can say that over different communities. You can say that over situations. It's like, it looks like death everywhere, and everything's dead, and nothing's working. And, and so he told him, he said, prophesy, son of man. And so he prophesied, Ezekiel prophesied, and he said that, I hear a rattling, a shaking, and and the bones began to come together, and God began to put flesh on them. In other words, bodies were recognizable, and they began to come together. Well, that's, that's one experience, but the promise was that life was going to enter in. The promise was that they were going to actually experience eternal life, what the abundant life was about. That was the promise. It wasn't that you were just going to come together, and there'd be a great noise. Amen. It wasn't that you were just going to become recognizable as people when God did his work. It was that you were going to be recognizable as people, but then life would enter in. And so he said, prophesy again, speak to the breath and say, breath come, life come into the bones. And when that happened in that second experience, it said that they all stood up like a great mighty army. I think about that. We haven't experienced that as the body of Christ yet globally. There's been little examples of that, but to actually see life come in, and you think about an army, that the sense of being under orders, the sense of being commissioned, 
The sense of working together, the, the sense of recognizing rank and file and, and following uh, uh, instructions to accomplish some great work for God. That it's coming, amen? It's coming. Life is coming into the body, and it's going to be more than a noise, amen? But the idea of being a soldier and the idea of that, you know, being able to maintain priority of not being entangled. And I, I know I've, I've started businesses. There's a time in, in your progression that you have to be fully committed. You've got to be, it takes 24-7 to carry out a vision, whether it's in church or, or, or in the marketplace. It takes that level of intensity for a while. But you have to also understand in, uh, commitment, or sorry, priorities and in, in your commitments. But you have to understand priorities. Like if you get lost in something and you become fully entangled in something that you don't sense God's life in, that after a while, the energy's gone. The life is drained out of that. So you've you got to understand, where, is, where are you at in life and what is God doing in you and what God's doing through you? But there's a difference between being engaged and being entangled, yeah. right? You, you can be fully vested. You can be working hard. You can be working diligent, but it's not entangled. It's the idea that my priorities, I, I still have enough time with Jesus. I'm making time with my family. I'm keeping my commitments to the Lord, like, I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've started two businesses and pioneered a third territory for a bank, brand new, and understand the level of commitment. We started three churches. We know about the early times, the dry times, the, the amount of intensity and stuff that has to go on. But there's a difference between that level of commitment and hard work versus being entangled. Amen? I'm not, I'll, I'll start meddling if I go further. Amen? But you can pray through the difference. But one of the things Nehemiah had, and I know we've got to wrap up, the power of eternal perspective. I, I just like his prayers. There was four times or five times he said this. But what happened in, in verse chapter 13 is there was a time he needed to go back and check in with the king. So he left the project. When he went to check in with the king, he came back and things had slid. They'd slipped. And uh, he said, he, but after many days, he obtained a leave from the king. I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil. Well, the evil was that they, they weren't honoring the Sabbath. They had kind of broken down the ordinances and things that he had established. And so Nehemiah contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? I gathered them together and I set them in their place. But he said these prayers, there's four different times. He said, remember me with favor, my God, for all I've done for these people. Again, in 13, 14, remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I've done, what I've so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves, etc. And then he says, remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. And then, and thus I cleanse them of everything pagan, etc., etc. Then he says, remember me, O God, for good. That there was something in him, like, in spite of whether it was successful or not successful, he knew that he did it because of a conviction that came from God. He knew that he did it based on what was in God's heart. And so when he carried it, of course he wanted success. He wanted to see it accomplished. And he got to see many things uh, established. And there was a revival at that time under Ezra. But the idea that whether I win or lose, whether it comes out or it doesn't, remember me, God, I'm doing this for con because of convictions that came from you. There's something valuable about that. Because when you, when you and I think about this prophetic history of the church, think about promises that 
In the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be exalted above all mountains. And we, we see that his church will be without spot or wrinkle. At the end, when he, it comes back like a great city, that we've been conformed into the perfect helpmeet for Jesus. And you see all those prophetic things. And if you, you look hard at where the church is at, where we are, where the church globally, there's a ways to go. Amen? Like, we, we're probably the second leg in the relay race. We might be the third leg, like, but we, we've got the baton. We've carried it this far. We're going to hand it off, and, but we're doing it in hope that someday you're going to reach the finish line and win. Amen? Because the promise is the blue, the, 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 gold, the gold, what's it called? Medal. The promise is the gold medal, right? That's, that's the promise, that we're going to reach and, and win and set a record. Amen? But you might just be the second leg of the relay. How many know, like in Nehemiah's mind, that was okay? He just said, remember me, God. Remember me for the work. Remember me for my faithfulness. Remember me for the role that I played because I did something according to the conviction that came from heaven. And that's what Hebrews was all about. Is Abraham obeyed God when he's called to go to place to receive an inheritance. And when he went out, he didn't know where he was going, for he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It's like, you could, we could say that about Nehemiah. He knew he, there was a physical building to be built, but actually what was on his heart was eternal. I'm going to do something for God. In God's eternal plan, it's important that Israel gets rebuilt and the temple sacrifice gets reinstituted. It's part of Nehemiah's conviction in an eternal plan. But yet, beyond that city, there's another city whose builder and maker is God, whose foundation is of heavenly things. And Hebrews 11:13 says the same thing, that they saw this afar off and they were assured and they braced and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. You know, God's prepared a city for you. In that city, there is gates, but they're always open, right? There's walls. It talks about that. They're adorned in jewels, and it's incredible. I've collected several testimonies that people have seen the heavenly city. And he's made it for us. It's waiting for us. But there's a connection between... What were you faithful to build here and our experience in that city, right? That one's already built. So somebody could just say, well, why do we have to build anything? We're just going to inherit that one. Well, that's true. But there's things that we are called to build now. We're called to build community. We're called to build the church of Jesus Christ. We're called to build relationships. We're called to be fitly joined together. We're called for those things and it's part of an eternal plan that ultimately manifests itself in the perfection of that city. So these things are important. Nehemiah 8.10, I could, you, like, and this is just a conclusion. You can talk about all this, it feels heavy. It feels like just responsibility, responsibility, responsibility. But actually, it's the prophetic vision of these things that are intended to bring joy. Amen? Like God's actually doing this. <laughs> He's actually doing it in us, that it's about yielding. And it, it's a super important part about this idea of thanksgiving and being thankful and, and uh, rejoicing that Jesus is actually at work in us and through us. He's the author and the finisher. Amen. And when he begins a work, he completes it. 
and he's committed to us. Like he's more committed to us than we are to him. Amen. As John said a couple weeks ago in his message, he's doing the heavy lifting. And so the joy, it said, so do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it said, also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Woo! Amen? Someone was shouting. Like, God did something in our midst. Like, we actually pulled this off, and worship was reinstated, and there was a great joy. But the weight of his word and the holiness that he released leveled people. Caused them to cry. The Levites came and said, hey, actually, come on. Here's the application. This is all a good thing. God's working. He's building. Yes, it took labor. Yeah, it took suffering. Yeah, we, we are intimidated. Yeah, we had to fight off the resistance to the enemy. But the truth is, he was in our midst. He's working. And now look what he pulled off. Amen. And they went, woo! Can somebody go, woo! Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Lord God, we just thank you. for We serve you with great joy. And we thank you for the things that we've been called to do. And, and a lot of it is abstract in a sense. A lot of it is building intangible things and building with intangible objects. But they're still true. They're still real. And I pray just for a, a new wave of the love of God over the house, a new wave of the joy of the Lord over the house. And thank you that you've called us not just to fall back into the category of peace lovers, but you've called us to be peacemakers. Called us to be those that will engage to bring the kingdom into relationships, into situations, into communities. And we thank you for that calling. And Lord, I pray a blessing over all those here in attendance. And I pray that the fruit of our last four discussions on Nehemiah will create in us some powerful thoughts some powerful motivation. I just thank you in our devotional life that these things will have an eternal effect in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Pray a wall of protection around every family here. That you'd keep us from the evil one. You'd keep us from intimidation. That you'd keep us from the rubble of words. I pray for marriages. I thank you that you bless with communication that doesn't create defensiveness, but creates open-heartedness. Where you'll, you'll teach us how to speak to open hearts and open spirits and not put people on the defense. I thank you for that grace. And I pray that into marriages in Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray, show people how not to compete with each other. How not to compete, but how to love and appreciate each other. In Jesus' name. And for every oscillating bridge in our life, we say, peace be still. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, that all of our bridges will remain strong and in place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, I pray that you are feeling encouraged, inspired, and equipped to take on whatever you may be facing in this life. And hey, why don't you consider joining us? We meet every Sunday at the Clark Center in Arroyo Grande at 10 a.m., and it's always a good time. We'd love to have you with us. And for any more information, ways you can partner with us, please visit equipperscc.com. God bless. Amen.